Welcome to Hashtag Gen Z. I'm your host, Megan Grace. Hashtag Gen Z is a podcast about, as you guessed it, Generation Z, the generation of young people born between 1995 and 2010. It's about who they are, what they believe in, why they do what they do, and what makes them different than any other generation. This is a very exciting episode because Corey and I are sharing about a project we've been working on for over 18 months. Back in early 2017, we conducted our second study on Generation Z with the intention of writing what we were calling at the time Compendium Guidebooks to our first book, Generation Z Goes to College. At the time, we were getting a lot of questions from our friends and partners in higher education about how Generation Z would impact and influence various areas of colleges and universities. While our intention was to build upon our first study, the findings of our second study extended far beyond higher education and Generation Z just going to college. We also realized there was a great need for a comprehensive book about Generation Z, not just about college or the workplace or their health or their spirituality. So we set out on a big journey to write a book about Generation Z that covers nearly every aspect of their life, but even more, how Generation Z has been shaped heavily by the generations of the last century that came before them. So in this episode, my friend, co-author, and partner in all things Gen Z, Dr. Corey C. Miller, and I discuss our newest book, Generation Z, A Century in the Making. I'd like to welcome back Dr. Corey C. Miller. You know her. We're excited to chat again today about some very exciting news, our new book that is coming out. And we're excited to share this news and talk more about it. And and really just, we've been on this journey for about a year now writing this book and working with publishers. So we're excited to share the news. So Corey, I would love to hear your overview and inspiration. What's the new book about? Well, you know, this book, a lot of times people say, well, how is this different than your other books, right? You're writing about Generation Z. There's only so much you can write. Well, the two cool things about this book is one is we situated it in, in this notion that generations just don't fall out of the sky. You know, we don't have a bunch of kids sitting around texting each other because they were born that way. I mean, we've had, we have a society and a culture that has basically built and created an environment that fosters who these young people have become and are becoming. And so it was fun for us to be able to take a little bit of a trek through history to see how have um, previous generations, you know, subsequently impacted who Generation Z is ending up being today. Um, and we've been able to trace that back to their their parents who are primarily Gen X, their, their grandparents who might be baby boomers or silent generation, all the way back to their great grandparents and the GI generation. And so you know, while the book isn't a history book per se, it, it really creates a much larger view of the context of this generation. But then on a more practical level, the, you know, the, the book has a, a ton of chapters that are all about different aspects of their lives. So whether it's spirituality or it's mental health or it's communication and technology or entertainment or politics, I mean, we have chapters on just about every facet of the lives of those in Generation Z. So if you want to just, you know, read cover to cover, you're going to get a full, really great picture of Gen Z. But if you, you know, just want to know a little bit about uh, their views on learning, you just go to the chapter on learning and you can read about them. So it's it's really, it was a fun project to do because we were able to, to bring in kind of all the contemporary things around this generation with all the historical lenses that created them. Yeah, I think that one of the coolest things that I've enjoyed working on with this book has been really uncovering the why behind some 
findings that we have coming out with social science around generations and really peeling away and looking at those layers, kind of how you've talked about all these societal contexts of what's really motivating those behaviors. And I think that that's actually some feedback that we got in our last book was we were reporting a lot of behaviors and perspectives, but really what is driving all of that? And I think it's changed my perspective on how we talk about uh, the interrelationship of, of generations and how we all regardless of our age, we have an influence both on the generations that have come before us and those that come after us. So that's been one of my favorite parts about being able to do this. And what I'm excited about is it it does take a larger look at the generation, but it also helps us piece together a larger view of how we all interact in society, obviously with that focal point of Generation Z. Right, right. And you know, when you're saying that, it makes me think of you know, we, we've done a lot of work on dissecting why, you know, Generation Z, they, they don't prefer to work in groups, you know, and while that might, you know, kind of alarm some educators or, you know, employers that, you know, oh, they don't want to work in groups. Um, but the, the question that's never really answered is why? Why don't they mm-hmm. potentially want to work in groups? And so that was really fun for us to, to take some of the qualitative data that we had. I mean, when we did our stories project, we worked with we worked with 50 colleges and universities around North America, just literally asking open-ended questions. What makes learning enjoyable for you? And those are the kinds of questions that sometimes get flipped on their head. And it was, what doesn't make learning enjoyable for you? And then it's groups, groups, groups. But we had the stories behind why that might be. And in my mind, I know why sometimes maybe some people don't like working in groups, and th- those are some logical reasons. But for them, there's such a complexity about why they perhaps don't want to work in groups and things around um, confidence about their own, you know, content knowledge. And are they ready to share that in front of other people? What if other people mm-hmm. judge them? That wouldn't have been something I would have ever thought about had we not asked them to really share why they might not like working in groups. So that was also a really neat part about this book is being able to to have them tell us the hows and the whys behind all of the other data that everyone's gathering and that we've gathered, but really making sense of it. it I feel like I have now a much more comprehensive perspective on the generation. And I can agree with that of there was a, a lot of research that we'd previously read and it would be like, they only like text messaging or they like talking in person. And we didn't really have a lot of, there was a lot, still a lot of curiosity around that. And so I think that our study, both our, our, you know, work that we've done in our studies, but also being able to pair that with other studies has given a really comprehensive look. And, you know, maybe we are biased because we spent so much time with it, but a really comprehensive look at this generation and not only just understanding what they're doing, but why they're doing it has been huge. I think that that it's also helped me articulate a little bit more when I'm working with, say, people that I'm speaking to or giving advice to about this generation. So I think that it there's it's a lot of wide appeal. And you kind of brought up educators. Who are some people that should be reading this book? If you were to prescribe it to somebody, who do you think should be reading this book? Well, you know, our first target audience was educators mostly. I mean, with our book, Generations, he goes to college, it made sense. But what I know that you and I didn't really anticipate out of that is that pretty much everybody else was picking up the book too. And anybody who had any interaction with this age group was picking up the book and then putting it in the context of, okay, well, I coach them or I supervise them or I parent them. What do I need to know? And so this this new book isn't situated in any particular industry where it's not just for employers and it's not just for educators. It provides such a great overview of who this generation is 
that just about anybody who's interacting with this generation would find it helpful to better understand them. Whether you know, you're know you a millennial and you have some Gen Z colleagues at work and you want to better understand how to work with them, whether you're a GI generation great-grandparent who says, I don't really get my great-grandkids very well, I, you might want to pick this book up. I think the people who are going to be most drawn to it, though, are going to be a couple particular groups. Again, educators still, because this is a prominent age age for this, um, for education. You know, we really got a lot of like late elementary school all the way through the beginning of grad school is this population. So educators will find this useful. And it's, and it's different than our first book. So while educators might have picked up the first book, that you know, this will definitely be a, a real supplement to that and in, in addition with some new information um, and a lot more uh, topics. But I, you know, I really think that employers are going to find that this is the the key, the lens in which they can understand how to recruit and train and retain and promote um, their Gen Z employees and prospective employees. This is just, it's almost like a map, a guidebook. What motivates them? What makes them tick? What are they like? What are they looking for? It's like we're giving employers a cheat sheet on this generation and saying, here, you know, here's what you're going to need to know. But, you know, the third group that I never want to underestimate is parents. Um, every time I speak, and I speak mostly to educators and, you know, people in organizations in a, in a workplace context, I, every single presentation, have someone come up to me afterwards and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. While this will be helpful at work, I understand my 14-year-old now. Thank you. Or I understand my 21-year-old. Thank you. And, um, there's just something to not be underestimated about the power of the of understanding this as a way to see your maybe your child or your adult child's viewpoints, their perspectives, their styles, and why they do certain things, whether they're 14 or whether they're 22. Um, it's just, again, a, maybe even a cheat sheet for parents. So I think there's going to be a couple groups that are going to be really connected to and really find this a practical Im- implementation guide to life with this generation. And then there's going to be a lot of other people who will just find it uh, fascinating to learn more about who they are. Absolutely. And I think that the the parent piece is is huge. And I don't think that you or I, if you would have asked us a few years ago, if we'd be writing books with, with parents in mind, we're like, beyond the ones that have college age students. I don't think so, but it's absolutely true. I feel like every time I speak, I'm, someone comes up and I can agree. We'll say, oh, that's exactly like my my child or my grandchild. I always think about, like I always say, and when I'm speaking, like I like to think about the Gen Z that I know, know closest to my life. And it's like, I have two nephews that are smack dab in the middle of that generation. And I work with my parents and I say, you know, they'll say something like your nephew's this or your nephew's that. And I'm like, well, let me tell you what my research is telling me, which is a weird conversation to have with your own parents. Oh, but right. I'm now just going to slide them the book and just say like, give it a read. See if you understand your grandchildren a little bit better. Right. Um, you, might, you might flip some of the the corners of the pages. I picked out some yes. passages on page 23 that I think might really help explain. Things. Oh, they would, <laughs> my parents would love and hate that at the same time. Um, so it's something that we don't ever really get to talk about that much, but I get some interesting questions like, maybe more so from my peers of like, what is your process of writing a book like this? I know that we actually write together and we're very close in, we talk like we talk all the time about our content, but what was the writing process like for you? And I'll share kind of what it was like for me. It's such an interesting question because I had an epiphany um, and it happened last summer when we actually started writing this book. I wrote this book differently than I wrote every other book that I've written. And it was it was fascinating because I've always approached writing as an art, as a creative process, as, you know, it doesn't 
you know, there's multiple ways of saying something, you know, and being creative about it and using your words and your language and all of those things. And I, and I appreciate that. And that's how probably most people actually write. This summer I had, I was stuck on a, a part, a paragraph and I knew exactly what I wanted to say, but it just wasn't coming out right. And, and while I could have been fine with any of the seven or eight versions that I, that I managed to type up of that paragraph, I, none of them felt right. And I thought, well, if, it's, if I'm really resting on this art of writing, then any of these would be just fine. But for some reason, I thought, what if writing is a science and it's not an art? And what if there is one exact right answer to say exactly what you want? And the job is not you know, exploring options, but the job is trying to discover exactly what the right code is. Like you're cracking the code. And I ended up switching over to relying on my intuition around the scientific part of writing rather than the art of writing. And I would rewrite the same sentence five or six times until it literally felt like it was the exact word choice that reflected what was going on in my brain. Um, and that was a really logical process. And, and while I, I consider myself a left brain, pretty logical person, I'd never approached writing like that. And it took a lot longer to write like that. But for me, it ended up producing, um, I think, writing with more clarity. So I ended up editing my same parts over and over. And what I would have to do in order to do that is I would have to give myself 24 hours between writing and reading. And so I would read it the next day and say, this isn't what I wanted to say. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it doesn't communicate what I wanted to say. It isn't exactly what I wanted to say. And then I would work on it over and over. So for me, the writing process, I, I had this big moment this last, you know, about over a year ago and we started this process and, and, uh, and it just became incredibly time consuming, but I feel like my writing just, it, it took off and, and it just, it felt better and it felt, um, it felt like when I got done with, with a chapter, I was like, boom, check that off. I feel like I am communicating exactly what I wanted to say. And well, you know, we edited it back and forth and our editors did, and we had word choice things here and there. I at least felt like what I put out in that first and second and third drafts were really clear about what I wanted to say in my head. So, you know, it it was just, it was a really interesting epiphany and I've really approached things differently with writing now um, because of this process. Yeah. I would say that my approach was less scientific And it was interesting because if I think back to writing this book and then when we wrote our first book uh, with with Gen Z Goes to College, my process was very similar, but my emotions around the book were very different, if that makes sense. And so when we were writing the first book, in the same way, like I would have this concept and you know me, I'm, I'm an extroverted person. And so like I like to talk about things and then I'll write them down. I had like I'd started a new job and I had this like very close knit group of friends that were, I would be like, okay, so let me nerd out for a second. I just need to say these words out loud to make sure that they coherently make sense. And so when we were writing that first book, I had that group kind of built in into my social life. And the second one, I'm like kind of upheavaled my life, moved, didn't know a ton of people in town, like had very few people. And so I actually felt a lot lonelier writing this book because I didn't have as many people to say, and turn to and be like, hey, does this make sense? Um, so there were certain people that I, they knew who they are. They would pick up the phone calls. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, my mom got a lot of them. And I had certain friends that would be willing to, to still talk about those. And because for me, I knew that the audience was different 
that we were writing for because the audience was a little bit more ambiguous because we're like, there's so many audiences that could tune into this book. And so for me, I was like, I needed to talk to lots of different people about these concepts to be like, did this make sense? Like I have, I was writing at one point from my friend's house in Columbus and I, you know, when I was like, Hey, does this make sense to you? Like you work in business and recruiting and kind of consulting. He's like, no, that makes total sense. Like, so it was a different process because I had different emotions around it. So like, I felt like my support circle was just different. Um, and my extroversion and trying to utilize people in a sounding board was I had just a different emotion around this book, but I also feel like I trusted my gut a little bit more with Mm -hmm. this book and where you would give yourself 24 hours and be like, I'm going to come back to it. I did the exact opposite. I was like, I've stewed on this. I've talked to people about it. I'm going to put it down, follow my gut and send it to Corey. I don't know if you knew that, but there was a lot of like, I feel good about it because I'm not sure I could say it in another way and really like leaning on my, my gut intuition and writing it. So I'm, I guess we didn't really talk about like our writing process until now. So it's interesting. I didn't know that you changed like kind of how you went about it this time. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, we talk about our writing process to the extent that it involves each other. Like, I'm going to send you this on this day. Yeah, like, where are you at? You know, we should include this and, you know, we should expand this area. But, you know, not that was more that came really down to content at the same time, you know, or in the process was really our timeline. But you're right. I mean, it was a it was a it was a really this was an intense year. Um, This is a very comprehensive book. And it took a lot of time, a lot of thoughts, a lot of careful careful consideration. A lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah. A lot of coffee this year. <laughs> but it was, it was a lot of, a, a lot of focus. Um, and so I'm, I'm relieved to have, um, to be at the part where we're going to get to launch the book. That's the part that I'm really excited about. Yeah. I feel like I've been consumed in this one so much. Not that I, we weren't in the first you know books that we've written, but I felt like because it was a little outside of my comfort zone of not writing about higher education, not writing about leadership, not writing about something that I was doing every single day, I felt super consumed by this. And I would definitely go and just binge at a coffee shop and work on this for eight or nine hours at a time. And it was just, I felt very consumed by it, but I was like binging in times where I'd be like, I'm going to write an entire chapter today. And then I would do it and be like, I cannot write for another day or two. So yes, it's great. To, and it's very relieving to, to be able to share it with people because I think ambiguously I've been talking about the, I, what I was calling the next book for a long time. And so I'm excited for us to be able to share it with, you know, the people that have been following this journey who have been, you know, have heard us speak, who are interested in us and are just excited to learn more. So I can agree. I'm very excited to release it here soon. What would you say is your favorite thing about this book? I love the fact that it's so um, comprehensive and not just comprehensive in content and topic. It's comprehensive in um, the amount of studies we use. I think one of the things I really appreciate about the approach that we've taken on this book is that we have decided to, to include our own original research, which was really, really important for us. Um, especially because uh, a lot of it was qualitative, but we partnered with big research entities to get Gen Z data sets, which was that was not our original research, but it was an, it was a custom data set that other people don't have. And then we were able to tap into other research and um, across market research and social science that basically you know, was able to come together to tell a story. And I know you know lots of folks might write some books and, and those books have um, you know they're either, uh, you know, very single focused on one thing, one study. And 
I mean, we included hundreds of studies. I mean, Pew and census and social science and market research and other gen generational researchers and our work. And I love that because it, it gives a much fuller picture of this generation. I agree. I think that we took a huge, very, and I think that as we were, we let it evolve too. We took a, we had a pretty comprehensive list. And then I think that we let our topics flow as they also emerged. I know that there was times when we were like, we have a chapter completely done for four months. And then something would come out from either a research partner or somebody that we knew that was putting emergent work out there. And so we had to go back and change it. But I also felt like that was really exciting. And because we were utilizing such concurrent new information and being able to synthesize it in our own way. Um, I think one of my favorite parts of what we were doing is that we were actually taking sources that I guess I never would have considered as typical generational research aspects and really finding a way to apply those findings to Generation Z. I spent more time with census data than I think uh, most people do. I know that we spent a lot of time in some data sets that were very large and looking at age breakdowns and, and really being able to deduct and make sense of some trends that I don't think other people were thinking about at the time. And I know that one area we're excited to, to talk about that not many people have is Generation Z and their political activism um, and looking at, you know, how this group of young people is going to, to to shake some things up and especially in a civic engagement mindset. So I'm excited to also share some of our findings that I'm not sure other people are talking about. We, we dove into like religion, which I think was so interesting for both of us to learn more about. And I'm not sure that there's a ton of people talking about it. I know I personally um, spent quite a bit of time understanding their relationships and not only their friend relationships, but their romantic relationships. And that's not necessarily a thing that I think we intended to initially research, but as we were really starting to get a better understanding of this group, we knew that we had to, to pay mind to those topics. So I think those are some of my favorite things is that we are really expanding the conversation as well. Yeah, I, tot I totally agree with you. And I think about um, some of the things that I had no idea about, and I started to go down the rabbit hole. And that religion, the spirituality chapter took the longest out of every chapter that I worked on. And um, I remember I went to the library and I was checking out book after book about the history of different religions in the US. And I don't really know a ton. I, I I didn't really. I don't think I ever took any classes that focused on religious studies. I know I didn't take any religious studies classes per se, but I really don't know a lot about world religions. And so for me, it was really interesting to be able to 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 have to kind kind of speed up on history and say what, what's been going on. I can't I can't write about the present and the future if I don't know anything about the past. And so some of these things were really easy to write, like education and learning, because that's the world that I live in. But you know, on those topics that I didn't know as much about, it was it was. Those took sometimes months to just go and learn. And I feel like I, I know a whole lot more and I feel a lot more confident about those topic areas, spending so much time with books and articles and talking to people and um, just really trying to figure out, um, you know, more about that particular subject matter. Yeah, I think that that was one of the coolest parts of being able to work on this project is becoming, it like ignited a new spirit in me of wanting to learn about a, a variety of different topics as they relate to generations and understanding, you know, kind of our thesis behind it is that there's all of these factors that come into shaping the world that Generation Z is essentially reacting to, to develop their, their cohort culture, if you will. But this idea that there's so much history that goes on beyond that. And like, now I can say that I'm not saying that I would identify myself as fully a historian, but I have a much more appreciation 
for the importance of understanding history and in, in the role that it plays with understanding generations and how all of this kind of comes together. And it's interesting because I can actually, I'll, you know, I'll be in classes and someone will be like, what was going on in like the 1920s that, you know, might have impacted, you know, educational context. I was like, well, I can tell you about some technological things that might have an impact. or I can tell you about what was going on politically. And so really looking at the world from a more comprehensive thing is a, I think a skill that I did not anticipate picking up from this process. And that I hope that some of the readers will also start to think about generations and our society a little bit differently in the way that we've positioned some of the things that we are sharing. Right, right. Absolutely. I agree. Well, Corey, I am excited to share the book with all of our our friends, family, followers, you name it. Um, Where can someone purchase this book? Well, I would say the the best place to go at this point in time is you can pre-order on Amazon. So I would say that would be the the best place to start. And when you get on Amazon, um, you also find on there an overview of the book. You'll find, you know, descriptions of the chapters and some of that information. It's just going to be helpful um, in positioning yourself to be prepared to read the book so you know what's in it. Um, But that that would be where you could go. But you're also going to be able to see um, Megan and I at a number of conferences and events in the upcoming months. And uh, we welcome conversations, and um, some of those we'll have our books with us. We'll be doing presentations on our, our uh, you know, our new book and our, and our newest data. And so you can certainly follow us on, on either of our websites where we've got calendars and events posted, places you can find us. And so you may even be able to see us in person and even get your book signed. Yeah, we're going to be, we're staying busy and it's exciting because when we're busy, that means we're, we get to pretty much hang out and talk about Gen Z. So with the book coming out, I know that we're excited for any opportunity we get to hang out together because that's really rare, but also to be able to divide and conquer and, and hang out with people all over the country and chat about Gen Z, talk about the book. So I know I'm excited for everything that's coming down the road for for our work and the people that we are lucky to work with on this kind of stuff. So Corey, I want to thank you for spending some time to chat with me today. Do you have any anything else you want to share or ask before we, we get going? Well, I just want to give a couple shout outs to some uh, groups and some people who have really made, you know, made our work possible. It, you know, we, we are really grateful to the Higher Education Research Institute who's been able to provide us with two different data sets over the years, um, one on the freshman norm survey and one on more recently on the college senior survey, um, disaggregated to Gen Z uh, populations. So that was really helpful. And our, one of our new partners, the VIA Institute on Character, provided us with a data set of Gen Z um, aged people in the United States who had taken the character strengths assessment that they have. And so it's really nice to have uh, institutional partners or organizational partners that have large data sets to work with so we don't have to recreate the wheel. But, you know, we're also thankful to to other folks um, who have endorsed our work, who are spreading, uh, you know, spreading the word, who are liking our posts, who are sharing our work with others. We have a, a number of really wonderful champions out there, whether it's online or face-to-face that just have, have blazed a trail for us and, and really um, been great, great supporters and advocates for us. So um, there's, there's so many to name, but we just, I know from my own perspective, and I know I, I probably speak for you very highly with this as well as is that, you know, without the, the help and the support of other people, this would have been much, much more challenging and maybe not even possible at all. Yes, we have so many people that are from our friends and family who probably hear so much about this um, to our colleagues in a variety of different fields that support us and, you know, continue to either send us resources or give us ideas and support our work. We are huge, hugely thankful for that. And Corey, I want to thank you because 
this is a huge milestone for us. And it's, again, weird to be thinking that we've been working on this for five years, but it seems like no time and all the time and all the adventures. So thank you for allowing me to do this work with you. And you've been such a wonderful partner in this. And what an adventure. Thank you for hopping on today to chat more about our book. And I'm excited for all the adventures that are to come. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Megan. Thank you to Corey for spending some time talking about our new book, Generation Z, A Century in the Making. It's so helpful to spend the time reflecting on a project and a process that took almost two years, but we hope is useful for readers for many more years to come. If you're interested in getting a copy yourself, you can find it on Amazon.com as well as through our publisher's website, Relage.com. As you dive into the new book, I'd love to hear your feedback, and the best place to do that is through Amazon Book Reviews. So once you give it a read, go give it a review. I will be wrapping up season one in the next episode, and I can't thank you all enough for your support, kind words, and feedback so far. If you haven't yet, head over to your preferred podcast listening platform to rate, review, and subscribe to hashtag Gen Z. If you loved season one, then you definitely don't want to miss season two. More to come in that next episode. If you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, comments, or just want to say hello in the meantime in the off season, you can head over to my website, meganmgrace.com, and drop me a note. Thanks for hanging out. Let's continue this conversation. We'll chat soon.